0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: Leinster could offer me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Robbie Rugby, Rugby Weekly. Then in the first pass. Oh! 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 Drive Magic. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, and I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42. How are you, Murray? Great, Gav, How are you? Super. Thank you very much. And delighted to be joined as well as always by Birch, Bernard Jackman. How are things in your end? Yeah, all good, thanks. Lovely packed show. We're going to chat about Six Nations, Ulster's marquee signing. We might even get a couple of complaints in about the officiating in the Pro 14 as well. If we have time, we've got loads of questions from the 42 members rugby WhatsApp group as well that we're going to try to field. And let's see how we get on over the next 45, 50 minutes or so. I think we have to start, though with that marquee signing for Ulster Murray. And I can't remember a signing that kind of captured the imagination to the extent to which uh, Leone Nakarawa's potential or impending arrival at Ravenhill did so yesterday. Even the Snyman and Diolende signings from Ulster last summer maybe because they'd been flagged in advance um, it it wasn't quite it didn't quite pack the same punch when it was announced Uh, whereas this kind of really emerged to the public eye only through like a tweet from Ulster that sort of teased it a a few minutes before they actually announced the signing and Listen, it's potentially a, a transformative signing for them, particularly with the loss of Kutsia. You're, you're losing a massive kind of ball carrier and talismanic figure. And in comes another, basically, with a, a slightly different skill set, but somebody who has the has potential to transcend culturally as well as affect their play.
0: Yeah, they did really well to keep it under wraps. Another blow to the egos of journalists all around the country that no one got this. That little teaser video, you're kind of going, who is that? That's not Leone Nakarewa, is it? Hadn't been flagged at all, really. And I'd imagine it's happened quite quickly we had heard and I think we discussed the fact that they were looking abroad they were in the market obviously as you mentioned and um, but it is a really exciting signing when he was at his best maybe pre-world cup 19 he was one of the very best players in the world so effective obviously the offloading is a remarkably unique skill set he's one of the best offloaders ever to play rugby and it's a thrill to watch him when he's in flight really strong carrier obviously very good in, in defensive collisions as well and his line work is, is really superb. So there's loads of skills there. I suppose on the other side of it, though, he just returned from a year out of the game. He's had a long-term knee injury at Glasgow, so he's only actually played, I think, four times since the World Cup. He got sacked by Racing 92, obviously, in December 2019. They called it insubordination. He disappeared for two weeks, essentially. didn't return their calls and they said it wasn't the first time it happened. So there was obviously issues there off the pitch in Rassing. Um, so it has been a really tough time in his career the last year. And I guess the, the job now is to get him back to full fitness and firing. He's still only 32. There's there's plenty left in, in the tank for him. Um, but there's a bit of a punt, I suppose, in that sense, that he hasn't played a lot of rugby. I'm really excited to see him, as they've said themselves, in the back row. It's clear that he's kind of coming in and they're probably using some of that salary that Kutsia is vacating to to pay for him. Um, So, yeah, I'd have a bit of trepidation around it, to be honest, in terms of him not having played a lot. But if they get him back to where he was, what a sensational player.
1: Any trepidation for you, Birch, in relation to playing time, in relation to him ghosting his previous employers? um, Or is this potentially just the right environment for him?
2: Look, uh, my understanding is that he's he's not a cancerous guy in the dressing room. He's actually a a really good, really likeable guy. When he's there, he trains really hard. The, The issue... With racing, um, and it happens to a lot of Fijians in France, in particular, is they tend to miss the return to training date uh, for a variety of reasons. I had a guy, um, uh, Ratini, a very talented winger, um, and he was five or six weeks late back for for season and uh, his passport blew away in a in a in a hurricane. Was one of the excuses that that we got, and we couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't get him. And in fairness, look at it's it's obviously. You know, for 11 months of the year, they're away from their families and they are family focused. And then it's a long trip back. They lose two or three days to get there, two or three days to come back. So um, in some ways, I can I can understand how they they can be slow to, to, to come back. But um, I look at a lot of people in Massing felt that they should have, um, you know, that they were being overly harsh on them. But obviously they wanted to. Um, stick to the rules and make sure that there was no no favors for anybody else. So, look at it happened. The wor- the only worry would be, as is, 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 as Murray said, is that he has been injured for a while, so current form I- isn't there. Um, but in terms of talentability, um, he's a phenomenal player. And, and Rassing played him at eight, you know, uh, a bit as well. And I saw him at eight, and he was effective at eight, you know, and he wouldn't have thought. He well he had a skill set to do, but you wouldn't have thought he, he, he was going to be a good eight because he's such a good lock. And and um not many can do that, but he, he can. And and also we're very close to signing Mata from Edinburgh. Um in actual fact I think the title was done. It was a late U-turn. So Mata's an unbelievably um effective player in the in the pro 14. And I've no doubt Leone, if he gets when they get him back fit, um, will be a joy to watch and and uh yeah, it's a great replacement for Katsia, even though you know it's not really a, a traditional like for like eight, and uh, Katsia was more of a bat and ram, whereas Leone can, can kind of do a little bit more as well. So, um, yeah, great signing for the Pro 14, great signing for Ulster.
1: You mentioned the Mata U turn there, and quite often you do steal a march on the journalists just through your connections and coaching and so on. Did you have any inclination that the Nakarawa signing, signing was on the table? Did you keep it? <laughs> I didn't close know to last week, chest?
2: but uh, uh, on the pod, of course, I would have told you, Gav, but um. I had heard rumors on Monday and Tuesday. Look, I think Glasgow, Glasgow were probably given permission for the SRU to bring him in when he got sacked from racing, kind of outside of a normal budget, you know. So they got special dispensation, uh, because he came available, um, you know, late in, or early in the season, but outside the normal signing period. And then obviously he's been injured. Um, he can't. He's not a project player. Um, he could be gone in November. So I can understand why Glasgow weren't able to be as ambitious probably um in the tra- in the in the market as as Ulster. But look at I think it's a, it, it, look at you compare that to to um uh, number eight signing um whose name uh whose name escapes me for a second Happily. Oh, yeah like that's a that's a complete gamble um and you have to hope that they can make him the player he potentially is whereas Leone all you're doing is, is making sure that your medical team have 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 done their job, and he's he, he, there's no reason medically why he won't get back. And if he gets back, you know he's a proven, he's a proven world class player. So just an example. And look at his budget involved. Connor doesn't have the budget the Ulster have, uh, so they have to take those punts. But for me, um, for me, I think it's a it's a great signing, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's a really good placement for Kutsia.
0: The excitement of the fans as well is it. A brilliant part of it like sports should be fun following your favorite team should be fun and this is fun the way it was announced as you say Gav the skill set he brings like whenever fans are back I know they always have good attendances in Belfast but it's going to be even more of a rush to get into the stadium to see him live he is one of those players that I've been lucky enough to, to see once or twice and it's a thrill even as a journalist who goes to loads of games and coaches as well it's someone you talk about watching play and 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 following around the pitch and seeing what he's doing he's a thrill to watch the other side of it that's going to be interesting is whether or not this means that one of the other Irish back rows isn't going to move to Ulster we talked about that possibility that prospect the sense that maybe there was an opening there now um, and David Newsom for probably wanting to fill that with an Irish player so it'll be interesting to see if that still happens as well as Nakarawa joining there's a lot going on behind the scenes contract wise and negotiation wise so there's Lots of water to go under the bridge. And i will be fascinating to see if one of the Irish guys does now also make a move there. We Can also have David McCann, it should be mentioned, in, in Ulster, yeah. who's who's a, who's a big prospect as well to develop.
2: Yeah, I'd hate to see someone go there and block McCann, really. Um, but also, just interestingly, and we're, we're going to talk about the squad in a second, I think that the alignment that was probably there with, with Joe um, and New Sephora in terms of being able to go to players and say, look, what, you got to move, you got to move if you want to play international rugby, you can't be on the bench for Leinster and Munster. This squad has actually kind of put that back in doubt again, whereas, you know, you've Rowan Keller, who's not first choice at the moment for, for, for Leinster. You've Gibson Park, who's behind Luke McGrath. Um, you've Craig Casey, who's behind Murray. So, it's just interesting. Um, I'm not saying that those guys don't deserve their their, their spots, or whatever. Like, I think Keller is is the future Irish starting hooker. Um, But it makes it harder for New Sephora or a Dan McFarland or a, or uh, uh, an Andy friend to be able to really genuinely go and, and say look you have to leave you have to leave to play for Ireland you know and we saw it last year when Deegan and Doris kind of broke into the Irish team the Irish squads without really being sure that we were they were first choice for, for Leinster um and I just it's just something to to take note of I mean there was real alignment from the top down um and I'm I'm questioning whether um everyone's on the same page at the moment but we will talk about it, I'm sure again
1: um, let's let's talk about the overall contract situation then, because there was a, a piece with Billy Holland yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, he spoke really well about the challenges facing players at the moment at uh, the provinces. Johnny Sexton was talking on international duty as captain about checking in with guys, making sure things are going okay for them, because so many of them, literally half of the professional players in Ireland, are. are In the midst of of contractual negotiations Or at least at risk of running out of contract Pretty soon At the end of this season basically And for a lot of guys it's going to mean Enforced retirement probably Because there won't be other homes for them In the current climate But equally as Billy Holland was saying it's difficult for him to turn to a 25-year-old and tell them, ah, listen, it's going to be grand, because it might not be. And there are going to be, um, there is going to be upheaval and there are professional challenges facing a lot of people at the moment, as well as personal challenges. Um, Great for, say, Ulster that Ian Madigan signs on. Got his, his... Thunder stolen a little bit I think by the Nakawawa Announcement moments later But you know Like it was good to see him Sort of uh, secure his future If you like He mentioned his family Has settled up uh, In Belfast really nicely it's just that others won't be so lucky and there are kind of ramifications potentially for Andy Farrell's Ireland squad and equally for the provinces as they continue through the Pro 14 in the coming weeks. There are players literally that are going to be playing who don't know if they're going to be playing for that same club in three, four months' time. So um, can you talk to us about that, Bernard, from the point of view of somebody of a player who has been through contract negotiations in the past and equally as somebody who has coached and probably had to sit down and have chats with guys and say, listen, we're not keeping you on or we'd like to keep you on. To what extent can a player compartmentalise it and and sort of keep their play separate to that personal upheaval? And to what extent can it actually have an impact yeah, on a player I think it when they're on either <clears throat> playing for their, their club or their country? Yeah,
2: it, it depends on the individual. I think some guys have... You know, bulletproof, self belief, confidence, um, experience, and, and know that you know the if they perform that the contract will look after itself, even though it mightn't be the same value as the as the one they're on. And then there's other people who who need that security that, you know, and and they fret and, and they're anxious, and that affects their performance, which. You know, uh ironically, would actually affect the chance of 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 being retained or, or, or being re-signed. So it's a it's a very difficult one, and, and it, it is across the board. And the guys I've seen who've come across as being bulletproof, um, sometimes have massive anxiety and massive insecurities, and um, they really need that reassurance of having security of a contract. Um, I think the problem now is so. I remember early days in 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 Connacht, where the first year of professional rugby. Uh, we all signed one-year contracts, and you know we were told, "Oh, look at next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're gonna bring you all in and tell you if you're being kept." And, and uh, <laughs> there was a list put up in the in the sports ground. Monday, nine o'clock, uh, half nine, ten o'clock, and it was like Eric Elwood, Connor McGuinness, uh, Mervin Murphy. So you were like, oh, Nigel Carlin, right? That's the that, those guys are gonna be kept." I was Tuesday at a, around midday, so I was like, "Oh, 50 50 <laughs> And then Wednesday were all the guys who. Had- played all year or were completely in the freezer and it was just such a bad way of, of, of doing it but look at things have moved on from there but the only thing about this year in COVID and the way um had kind of said look at um the second Monday in January that's when it's going to start um so they have started to make offers but it was, it, from what I gather there wasn't it, it was a mix and if they've, they've tied down sorry they've gone about tying down a lot of those kind of squad guys first um, and which look at I don't know what there's no exact strategy because it's COVID and it's the first time anyone's been through this, but it looks like they, they've tried to tie down some of the young players, <clears throat> try down some some of the squad players, and that will actually strengthen the fuse hands with some of the, the other, the, the, the bigger names, if you get me, where they maybe want to play hardball. So, um, and the challenge now is, you know, you've, you've told your family, your wife, your bank manager, um, look, at, I know what I'm doing the, the second week of, of January. And if you haven't been spoken to yet, you know, there's extra anxiety now because um, you haven't actually started the process. So you don't know where you stand. And look, at, I'm not 100% sure how many players are in that situation. I believe some of them are. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a tough time. And you'd like to hope that they've waited so long now Um that this won't drag out, and I think players have been given you know seven, ten days to make their decision on their offers. So there's not gonna be a huge amount of of wiggle room for for certain players. But then obviously, once they accept that to leave or stay, then that probably allows, you know, New Sephora and, and the IRFU or the provinces to then go and play the next card, if you get me. So um it's not like uh like some guys might get kept if some if, if only if someone else stays if you get me um and there's a lot of moving parts in it so it's not an exact science it's not look at um we treat everybody the same the same day it is a very difficult thing to get right but i do think that there will be anxiety levels um, and generally the guys who are at the top of the game have less worries because they know that they have the cvs um and experience and the profile to to find work it's the it's the players who maybe haven't had as much game time come back from injury maybe out of form at the moment but are, are talented players who are who are more stressed and more worried
1: yeah i think academy players as well mer who wouldn't have been really playing any rugby at all over the last uh, 12 or so months um, if they get let go it's difficult for them to sort of make the case to prospective employers like here's what I've been doing uh, they don't really have the the CV to which Bernard alludes and um, don't have the kind of profile that their name would demand the benefit of the doubt to the extent that Leone Nakarawa's would
0: It's really tough for those guys um, even say someone in a third year of academy as you say has no chance to Regularly feature in the AAL, set, have their clips studied every single weekend for the province to figure out where they fit. Um, and then, even some guys who are slightly older than that, with the obvious threat of salaries being cut back given the financial constraints, you're hearing about some guys actually considering maybe even getting out of the game. Um, you know, that it might not have the security or the financial value that they feel is, is worth it. So, it's a really influx time for rugby uh, as a whole and that's that's everywhere it's not just in ireland so then your options are narrowed down even outside ireland obviously at the moment the championship we just don't know what's going to happen with there so there's another kind of avenue that players would have had to continue playing professional rugby to continue pursuing a chance higher up the ladder at the moment i mean that would be a massive punt to to sign up with a club over there the the season's even this season is 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 in massive uncertainty and even beyond that a lot of clubs have now gone part time, so your your options are narrowed down and it's a really tough time. I thought Billy Holland's very honest insight to it was was great. Um you know most players would just kind of dismiss that and say we're focusing on the next game, but he was very honest in saying there's lads out on the pitch last weekend even who who aren't sure about their futures, and it's very hard to kind of shake those feelings. Uh, Johnny Sexton as well yesterday as you mentioned even in Six Nations camp now it's a little bit different to usual most of them would have had or most of the, the higher up players would have had their future sorted at this stage of the year but it's different this time around and that's got to be that's got to be resolved at a time when you're already away from your family so it is a tough time for everyone emotionally in the world at the moment but um, rugby players are no different uh, lots of them will get sorted with, with decent deals some of them will d- definitely do better out of this window but the rally for other guys is is a lot more difficult
1: I promised the members WhatsApp group that we will field questions from people who aren't Eric Fitzgerald as well today. But a question from Eric put the fear of Christ into me last night, personally, when I saw it in the group. And he was wondering, have yourself, Murray or Birch, heard anything to corroborate the rumours that CJ Stander is retiring at the end of the season? And I personally haven't heard anything uh, to this effect. But it is one of those situations where like it, something like that might be influenced by... Contractual uh, negotiations and maybe feeling as though okay, I'm not getting banged for my buck anymore. This is an incredibly dangerous sport. I have a family and I'm 30 years of age. Uh, but firstly, have you heard anything? Yeah,
2: yeah. I spoke to um, I spoke to a French agent last week, and uh, he was of the opinion that CJ was going to Bordeaux, um, or that Bordeaux were, were making a serious uh, serious play for him. So um, don't know any more than that. But um, look at he's a, he's a top player and. Uh, Bordeaux are a great club, so um, and they're very ambitious. So potentially, I think they're losing two eights, um, from their current roster. Uh, so there might be something in that. But um, yeah, that, that's that's look. I didn't know whether he was he was talking to them right in like that, but certainly that Bordeaux had a huge interest in, in CJ.
0: There was also a bit of chat about South Africa, wasn't there, and the, and the Bulls. But it's worth yeah. remembering that last time his contract was up. I mean, Montpellier. There was a story going going around that Montpellier were very much in for him, um, which Vern Collar later denied. But I'm sure it helped in terms of the contract negotiations when when that was there and present. So there's always loads of stuff. There's always interest. Like there's loads of stuff going on. You hear about John Cooney and interest there. He's all, he's all, he's got a year left on his contract. Um, a few other players like that. Alton Delan impressed. Racing ninety two. The time they played. There's always going to be bits of interest. It's it's whether they turn into concrete offers is, is what you're really interested in. And um, it definitely helps your case if there's a bit of outside interest and it gets out there in the media.
2: The there's, there's, land making the squad is very important um, in terms of being able to try and keep him here. There's no doubt he will be um, on the radar of a lot of French clubs. There's a big push for Lox this this recruitment drive um, across the Premiership and across France. And uh, um, he's somebody that's, like, Racing definitely like, but, you know, other clubs in France would like as well. So the big part of convincing him to stay is that he's likely to play international rugby, I think. So him being in a Six Nations squad um, definitely will help. I'm sure Connor try and time down.
1: There's a question here in the members WhatsApp group from Kieran Pearson, who is new to the group. Uh, he says his hellos and uh, his question, he says he's been wondering about it since the story Today, as in yesterday, of Ulster extending Madigan's and Herring's contracts while also signing Nakarawa. And Kieran was saying, with all of the general foreboding about contract negotiations over the last while, given the IRFU's finances, I really didn't see any provinces bringing in any non-Irish qualified players over the next while, especially with Lusifora's mantra being to promote younger Irish players. My question is this... Could the bringing in of non-Irish qualified players right now be a veiled threat to some of our top players who are out of contract soon to accept lesser deals or just move abroad and the provinces can take on some non-Irish qualified players on short-term deals to balance things out for a while? Bernard, your thoughts on that one?
2: Yeah, I don't think that's the the reason that Nakowar was allowed to be signed. I think he's a replacement for Cotsea. I think they, they are quite tight on the number of foreign players and obviously before that you could... Um, boost that with some project players. Don't really see that happening um very much in Ireland anymore. So, But I don't think we'll have less. And I don't see it as a threat. I think the threat will be, you know, take the contract or, or go and there's some other Irish player who will step in your place. Potentially, if we do lose a, a real key key player where we don't have depth in a, in that province, potentially, Nusifor will try and move somebody else from... Another province, and if that doesn't work, then he may give them an exemption to to go and sign a um, an Irish qualified. But I I don't see that as being linked up. I think it's just coincidence at the moment. It's too early to to say it's a it's part of a strategy.
0: Yeah, and Lusa Ford The last time we got a rare chance to speak to him, um, he did say there's still going to be some signings, the odd signing. He didn't rule that out completely. Obviously, financially there's issues there. But as Bernard said, sen- mentioned, and as we said earlier on. The a salary it would have been pretty extensive, plus a bit of a fee to get him out of that last year contract. So Ulster had a bit of scope there. Um, maybe a couple of players kind of raised their eyebrows going, you know, we could be spending that money on, on Irish players on our contract, so I'm being told I need to take a, a cut. But there was scope there, and, and Ulster flagged that early. And and certainly from New Sport's point of view, he definitely wants the provinces to remain as competitive as possible. Ulster losing their best player in Kutsia, so they've definitely got to fill that gap. And I think there'll still be a bit of openness around it with the other provinces as well where they want them to be in the Champions Cup and competitive throughout because that's going to make Ireland a better team.
1: Can I get your thoughts then, Bernard, on Ireland's Six Nations squad because it's been a week since we've heard from you. I do feel as though with Andy Farrell or probably any head coach in the world at this point when you're naming a squad like this, There are no winners, like it. it, as in there are no winners among the coaching staff because people always want somebody else from their own province or otherwise. Did you feel as though um, the squad was about as you expected or were there a couple of names, Luke McGrath, that Murray and Owen flagged on Monday's members pod maybe, that were unlucky to miss out? Yeah, Gav
2: Coombs, um, I think, um, is unlucky to miss out. I thought he was impressive again against Leinster, which is obviously a a, a litmus test. Um, I just, to be honest, I don't think it's... it's not a very exciting squad. um you know Casey's in there, which is I, I think he's a great potential um absolutely no harm um but I, I I think potentially he should be maybe in there as a as a development player. I think Cooney, you know Cooney's hard done by blade is hard done by really um Marmium hard hard done by to a certain extent but like I do like Casey and he's one for the future um uh, for sure uh, and I, I I've nothing against him being in there, but I just think some of the guys who are out are, are a little bit unlucky at, at halfback. Luke McGrath is definitely unlucky. Um, and uh, the, the worry I have is that we aren't really finding talent. So, like, effectively, this is probably a, a team that Joe could have put out, bar, you know, Doris, um, who's a starter for sure. And Hugo Keenan over the last couple of weeks has, has been in great form. So you'd say he's going to start. So we found, we found two players, really, in... Um, in, 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 since the World Cup, despite giving lots of players opportunities. So that's a bit of a worry when you look at the other countries. Um, they do seem to be finding more players than us. And um, that's something that maybe will will worry us because I think the starting team is, is going to be Healy, Herring, Furlong, uh, James Ryan, maybe Ty Byrne this week, but Henderson after that when he goes, when he gets a bit more game time. Standard, Doris, Omani, uh Murray, Sexton, Robbie, Chris, uh, Robbie, Gary, um, Maybe Earl Z, Larimer and Hugo Keenan. So like it's players we know, and that's fine. If they're they are the best players in the country, but I I just I wonder could we have gone forty, and you know brought in, brought in a couple more players who he sees as potentially breaking through over the course of, of twenty twenty one twenty two. Um, I know Joe did that a lot. You know where he brought guys in, and we didn't even know about it sometimes, like the so Harry Byrne etc. Were often training with Ireland. Um and. You know it's good for their development, um, and then obviously, I, I just don't see any rhyme or reason to the front row selections in terms of props because you know they have to be in a bubble, um, so bringing somebody in is is more um, drastic or difficult than it was previously. And you know, Ty Ferning hasn't played since February, Tom O'Toole is going to be a great young tight head, but I think he's two or three years away from. Being an international um, against one of the better sides, um, and anyone who watched him play for Ulster against Leinster a a couple of weeks ago would have big worries about him. But again, I don't have an issue with him being in there because he's one for the future. But he shouldn't be in there as if we have one injury, he's in the squad. He's on the matchday squad, you know. So I I don't, you know, I don't understand that. Like Coin should be in there, but he's short on game time. You know, for me, they could have easily had you know six senior props and Tom O'Toole as a development prop and. It would have just given him comfort over the course of the um of the next block. Like if Ty doesn't if Ty gets injured this week or doesn't come through, there's a little setback, um, you know, it's just they're gonna to have to bring somebody in to draft him in ahead of Tom O'Toole, I think uh, a Finney Bealam or whatever. Finney Beelum plays loose head in November as a favour, and now he's he's out. Like it's just uh, um, guys aren't on form or getting picked. So you're going down, you know, I said at the start, the, the, the alignment used to be really clear. Um and also form used to be a big thing. Okay, in 2019, um Jove didn't hold to that uh, standard of form as much as he had up till then. But you know, up till then if you train badly on a Tuesday, you could be out. Whereas now, you know, some of these guys aren't in form because they haven't played for a while. Furlong, Andrew Conway hasn't played for a few weeks, James Lowe's been injured. Um, you know, Larmer and Ferris has come back um and you know, look sharp in certain areas and not so sharp in others, but um for me that's the that's the issue around there's not it's not really clear where we're going you know it's still not clear what our style of play is um either and maybe now with Paul coming in we'll have a real clear defensive uh footprint um <clears throat> maybe we'll have a real clear attacking style but um there's just a lot of question marks uh, for me and I, I hate to be negative because um you know I, I want Ireland to do well and and hopefully we will and I look at this the, I'm not saying that my my worry about not many guys coming through isn't isn't that, um, yeah, I think that the, the senior players aren't still the best players. I, I do, but that's probably a a failing on on our ability to to give guys opportunities and 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 reward them. So someone like Coombs, for example, um, like he hasn't been rewarded for what has been a. You know, a block of games which have been really impressive. That, that That's my issue.
1: Uh, we'll kick it on and talk about Ireland's chances of actually doing something in this competition. So, Murray, I'll throw these two questions to you. They're from the members' of WhatsApp group, members.the42.e. Kalon says, With key injuries popping up for France and England, and given the settled nature of Ireland's squad, what's a realistic goal for this team? A tournament win? Four wins out of five and comes second. Whereas Gordo says, to flip it a little, if things don't go to plan in this Six Nations and we come out with just one to two wins and with no real improvement in performance, does Andy Farrell's position come under serious threat? He says he was listening to Bod on Off the Ball this morning, yesterday. uh, His second favourite podcast, he says. And he made a good point that nobody will be changing a head coach a year out from a Rugby World Cup, uh, that being next year. So does this Six Nations become quite significant? And he too apologises for the somewhat negative question and sincerely hopes it doesn't come to that. Your thoughts on that, Murray? I suppose the expectations of Ireland and what is right to expect from them in this tournament?
0: I'd probably expect something in between the two of those um, extremes, to be honest. I'd be very surprised if they go and win the tournament. I think France and England, even with a couple of those injuries, are really strong. I mean, Entomac's going to be missing the first few games, but Matthew Jallibert is playing some stunning rugby at the moment. And he's a guy who was... You remember him starting that match where he injured his knee. He was the, the big hope before Entamek was. Uh, England obviously have buckloads of quality up front. And I expect them to, to be the top two, to be honest. it It is a stronger Ireland squad on, on paper alone. Like I agree with loads of Bernard's question marks there, but... I think even with the question mark around game time of a lot of guys, I think it's right to get your best players back in there. It's the Six Nations. Ireland want to go for this. You've got Ringrose back, a guy who's so important. Larmer's been good in test Robbie Henderson's really experienced at that level. Tyke Furlong, obviously, if he can get up to speed, it is a big question mark, is is world-class. Dave Kilcoyne, unbelievably good ball carrier. So I think Andy Farrell, well, he does. He feels he's a much stronger squad and a much better shot at this now with those guys back in the mix. It, <laughs> The, the, the thing just to go back to the squad the thing with the the younger guys and developing the squad is it's funny how say with coombs reese roddick is the one who gets in ahead of him and um, if reese roddick wasn't in the squad farrell would have been criticized as you say gav for for not having that informed player in without tom O'Toole and craig casey in the squad he's probably getting criticism for not looking to the future so there's there's a balancing act there um and it's a really tough one to get right and and to keep everyone happy. But I do think it is a stronger Ireland squad with qualifiers over the game time and guys getting into form. It's obviously a particularly strange time now anyway with that kind of stuff. Um, but I'd be I'd be leaning more towards, I think Ireland can improve with the quality of player they have back in. Stockdale's probably the only one missing out from, from Autumn. He's got that knee injury, but he could be back by, by round three. Um, and I'm really excited to see how that style of play develops or improves with the the quality of player coming back in. I mean, if you get Porter and Furlong in the same matchday squad, what a what a duo to have. Um, so yeah, I'd be I'd be slightly lean towards the more optimistic side. while probably expecting Ireland to be third. That's I think where they are on the on the bookies lists, and, and it probably feels just about right.
1: Is third acceptable, Bernard, if that's where we wind up? Is that something that basically offers a stay of execution, if you like, Defarrell, uh, allows him to keep uh, building if there is signs of progress, and we kind of continue with this until the World Cup? Or or do doubts emerge if we're third again, and say if we're nowhere near really competing with France and England yeah. in particular? We might lose well, the way. I think, knows?
2: to be honest, third would be... Um, I think the third is where we finish, and I think it would be about, right, uh, just given given the quality of, of England and France. Uh, now we have them at home, and obviously there's less advantage to that with, with no crowd, but we have them at home. Um, but look at how dominant we are in the in the Pro 14, you know. Um, so realistically, you know, and the, and the squad we have, I, I think there is a lot of strength, a lot of experience, a lot of quality in the, in, in the, in the squad you're going to take from that. So we should be better than Wales. Wales are in, in disarray. Scotland, we thought, you know, we're... Maybe a coming force, but they they you know we blew them away. In fairness, in, in November and Italy are are also ran. So you know we should be able to be third, and anything above that would be a, a pleasant surprise, really. And and um, but to, to, to be honest, look at we, you know we're optimists. We 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 want Ireland to be number one in in Europe. And to um, get ahead of England or France, we really need to nail down how our brand of rugby and become really good at that because. Um, I think at the moment, the England and France. England have more power. France have more X factor. So you know our, you know our point of difference would have to be having a great game plan and executing it really well to be able to um, overcome the power deficit or the or the X factor deficit. Uh,
1: just to stick with yourself, Bernard. If you, I'll, I'll throw this to one to you quickly while we're sort of half talking about France, and it's from David Cordial, and he says. Um, Uh, does the pod think that DuPont could suffer from some form of second season syndrome? Uh, The likes of Stockdale and Larimer blew the field apart in their first year until opposition teams got wise to their talents. Could DuPont be similarly managed by other teams? Is there any evidence that suggests that he can be stopped?
2: um, If you're a betting man, you'd say he will have a dip at some stage in his career, but I don't think it'll be second season syndrome. And uh, the the things he does are so instinctive um i think it's very difficult to be able to be able to stop him necessarily um i just think he has unbelievable um awareness of where <clears throat> of where opportunities are in in kind of chaotic situations where you know obviously you can stop him for your first two or three phases um but that's not really where he does most of the damage it's it's the unorthodox is where he springs to life so i would be sh- i would be just, I, I wouldn't think he will i think he's on the you know uh, crest of, of of a of a really you know, high high level of form. Um he's not that new. He's been doing this for cast and, and Toulouse for a while now. Um so yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he'll have a dip. I hope he doesn't. I mean he's a pleasure to watch. You know, um obviously from an Irish point of view, you know, I hope he doesn't play great against against Ireland. But um I do think he's a pleasure to watch and I'd like him to like, I think he's the world's number one nine at the moment and I'd like to see him continue that.
0: He went to ten last weekend against uh was it against Agen? And he, <laughs> he looked class there as well. I know it wasn't the strongest opposition, but you could actually you could play him anywhere, couldn't you? I mean, he's such a good rugby player that anywhere across the back line, probably in the back row as well. He's so freakishly strong. And we were talking about Nakarewa earlier on, but DuPont is right up on that top of list in terms of players you want to see play in the flesh live. And that, that's one for fans to get excited about. He's probably been through the second season already anyway. I mean, he's been around for a while, as Birch says, and he is just getting better and better. It's really exciting to see how far he can push it. And there's, a, there's another indicator of this French team and their talent. They're, I don't think they're near their peak just yet. There's so much more ability and potential in that group. So it's exciting to watch them, but frightening for everyone else.
1: We'll obviously be previewing the Six Nations in more depth as well next week as the games roll closer. But just to stick with the competition in a more macro sense, a lot of talk yesterday, Murray, about paywalls. Uh, that topic has reared its head again. And a question as well, I think, as far back as Monday, that was for the, the members WhatsApp group from Kiron asking, will this be the last Six Nations that we see on free-to-air TV? Um What do you think, firstly, is going to happen? And then maybe we can get on to chatting about the potential ramifications for that.
0: I suppose this is all tied up with CVC, the private equity firm, coming on board. Um, That deal is very, very close to done now for 14.5%, driving the commercial side of the Six Nations, essentially. The CEO, Ben Morrow, was talking about it yesterday, about getting that expertise in to accelerate the growth of the game in that regard, i.e. make them more bucks for what they're... What they're delivering and make it a more attractive product. I suppose you look at CBC's track record and F1 is the big one. They went in there in 2006, they took it off free to air TV, and they made it much more profitable. But I know a lot of people's experiences that they don't ever see F1 these days and and they've no exposure to it at all. And there's that side of it to balance. So he insists that this isn't going to be the last the last championship um, available all to free free to air. The current deal expires in the UK and Ireland at the end of this championship so it has been up for for the tender for the rights um and there's been loads of talk about Sky Sports say coming in and and paying a big big amount of money to put it behind their subscription um Amazon have obviously been in the market they dipped their toe and by all accounts it was a fantastic partnership according to the Six Nations so there's a, there's a real interest there on the union's part as well in getting more buck for for their bang um, and increasing that revenue but everyone's fear everyone's who's on the outside of that commercial interest just worries about the game disappearing off the, the, the TVs at Six Nations time when that's a lot of people's main if not only touch point Ireland and the Six Nations that's the big one let's see how things are going they don't know any of these players they haven't seen much of the provinces but that's their chance to, to watch things so it's a really tricky situation for Robbie to weigh up but A really important one to get right.
1: I think that's the key point, Bernard, that Murray mentions at the end there about the casual fan whose only consumption of rugby might be the Six Nations in February and March time, right? So I saw Simon Thomas from Wales Online, who's a brilliant rugby journalist, just put it out there on Twitter maybe a week or two ago about... um, what people thought would be the ramifications for, say, children watching rugby. If it went behind a paywall, would it mean that less kids would be able to watch the sport and, and therefore less kids would be inclined to play it? And a lot of people were replying saying, my, my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old doesn't watch it anyway. He, he plays it on a maybe a Saturday morning, but he's not watching it on... Uh, on terrestrial tv but i actually think that's not quite the point like of course you want people involved in the sport from a young age and so on but i it's actually not a situation in which we should be thinking of the children necessarily but more so the masses and the sport status as a kind of a a cultural staple in the springtime and otherwise because if you listeners will will probably have a similar experience to my own where my mother will sit down and watch a Six Nations game because she's seen ads on RTE after the news throughout the week, and she knows they're playing Wales. Uh, whereas it, when Monster beat Clermont a, a few weeks ago, uh, she couldn't have given a, a Bakers you know what like she didn't know the game was on. She doesn't watch Monster. She and this is a woman who back in two thousand and six and two thousand and eight absolutely bled red. You know what I mean? Because people in the early two thousands were exposed to a an Irish team, an Irish club competing with European elite beating them, getting to European finals, and it created a a cultural movement, if you like. You have people around the country who support Munster who aren't even from Munster. But when the Heineken Cup moved behind a paywall, it's run into so many problems since it's not the same, it doesn't have the same kind of cultural standing as it used to. And that would be my fear for the Six Nations, that if you move it onto Sky, there are loads of people who can't afford Sky, there are loads of people who don't want to have to go to a pub to watch a match, and it'll just fade away and become a lot more niche, Rather than this sort of dominant sporting presence on the landscape, yeah, in spring.
2: absolutely. And I i suppose I've since I started playing in in, in school, I, I've been been passionate about it. So, um, and I, I suppose what brought it home to me my first ever com, co-com gig for RT for a Six Nations game. The commentator beforehand said to me, "Listen, you know, keep it very simple here, and uh, remember that you know, eighty percent of the people list watching this." Um, are new to the game or maybe don't understand the rules so just try and explain to them what's happening without getting into too much technical detail and I thought back to I suppose my own upbringing like you know we, we're from a Gaelic family and and but yes the Five Nations was on you know a couple of you know those those Saturdays in the spring and beyond it on TV and we'd sit down and watch it so it was probably my first access point to, to the game and, and um, I do think look at um, the problem is that they made money out of Formula 1 doing what they did that's the that's the challenge and uh it's the only good thing is that the six nations uh, still own own the majority of the of the shares the shareholding in it so hopefully we we get a balance and i'm biased because i'm obviously with rt so that and that i'd be shouting for free tier. but realistically i do think it's it's my you know my uh, history of, of seeing it for the first time on free tear you know your mom's story gavin that's the reality of um of, of how we can we can grow the game how we can grow a love for it um, by getting into more people's houses and um, you know look at some of the domestic leagues look at some of the uh, the European competitions now how few people actually get to see it and um, I don't think that's a good thing so hopefully there's the reality also is the money the game has is, is, has got its tongue out for uh, for money and uh, um, and that's difficult as well but hopefully that there will be some kind of compromise where um It doesn't go completely behind the paywall and um, we get the money into the game but still give the general public the chance to, to follow their country's progress.
1: There's an absolutely brilliant question that you got on email, Murray, from Ronan Cunningham about um, Munster and Leinster, which unfortunately we just don't have time to get to this time. We'll put it on ice and come back to it, definitely. Uh, But just because you guys are both busy in about 10 minutes' time, I want to finish with one last question, sort of half relating to the Six Nations, and because we promised as well at the start that we touch upon it. I'll throw it to yourself, Bernard, to begin with. Niall, Uh, as World Rugby want to enforce, reinforce, highlight uh, points of law at test windows. What do Murray and Birch uh, feel like uh, has been an area needing clarification or where standards have slipped uh, he's noticed collapsed scrums are okay to play on from again at the weekend for example and in a wider point I know Bernard you, you and so many others Connacht fans uh, and, and gener- people generally over a long period of time have grown frustrated with the officiating in the Pro 14 and probably in the game generally speaking uh, do you want to come in there and, and sort of talk y- about yeah. what you saw at the weekend and maybe the the feelings towards officiating from coaches yeah well look at I
2: think um Unfortunately, the standard of officiating in the Pro Fourteen is, uh, is not of level required. The game is moving on. What the players are doing and the coaches are doing is 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 moving faster than the referees are able to keep up. Um and, um, a lot of the pro well, look there's a running joke in the Pro Fourteen among the coaches that they don't call the referees referees anymore. They call them the apologists because on a Monday morning they bang you an email with all the mistakes they made and how sorry we are, um. But yeah, the, you know, there's no improvement. And look, we we're all we all make massive made mistakes. Um, but you have to um, have a growth mindset and want to improve. And some of the things that we're seeing is 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 just not not good enough, really. And and, and it's like they make they're making stuff up as they go along. Sometimes at the moment, some of them as well. And um, and also, I will tell you what, the biggest issue is is the lack of personality or the the way. The referees at the moment, a lot of referees are tending to talk to players and and coaches, and if you, I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's a friction, there's a big friction on the pitch between um the players and and, and the referees at the moment, and that's never going to lead to um a, a, a positive environment or um or a good relationship, and, and a for and 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 referees are there to um to implement the laws, but the best referees I've ever had and and seen. I've also, been able to build a relationship with the, with the players, and uh, I think at the moment it's too far down the I'm the boss and you're the, the schoolboy, um, line. And I think when you start going down that line, you better know your laws, you better be so accurate, um, that you can't be held uh, to question. But unfortunately, um, unfortunately, that's not the case. And players see things like the ball not being thrown in straight and being let go, players see things like I give an example. Uh, Marcel his second high tackle against Leinster, um, and you know, sidestep was used as a reason uh, for a uh, um, mitigating factor. If you look at the rules, there's I think there's five reasons it came in a mitigating factor. The, the attacking player sidestepping isn't actually one of those. You know, so it's it's hard then to. To actually go look at fair play, like these lads are are nailed on, you know. So, implement the laws that are there. There is a rule around the ball being thrown straight into the line out. Um, And just because you mightn't like the scrum afterwards, for call it, don't ignore it, you know, don't ignore it. And, uh, um, yeah, and and like, if you do make a decision and you're 100% sure about your decision, then speak to the captain in a respectful way, give him the information that he can go to his players and say look at this is what actually happened don't pick up a term like sidestepping um, and sound like you you've, uh, you know what you're talking about because that wasn't that wasn't the case that, the scrum i'm talking about um was a connor penalty all day and he gave an osprey's penalty and the fact that osprey's decided to kick to the corner instead of taking the scrum when connor ran a warning gives you an insight into the fact that that was that was true so and look again you can make a mistake absolutely players and coaches make mistakes all all day but don't double down on that. On that, then by being standoffish or or being arrogant or um not 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 talking to the to the captain or uh about it and giving him a chance to at least explain to the players because what what, what was Butler going to do to the to the rest of the connor kind of pack? You know he was basically ran. He was shooed away from from Frank when he asked him a question, um, and that's that's causes massive frustration. So I think look at the best referees. The best referees are the ones who have. Um, a good relationship with the players, and unfortunately, over the last ten years, and look at, you know, we know Irish referee at the World Cup, we know Irish referee the Under twenty World Cup, we've won in the Six Nations. We're not on the top um uh, level of, of European referees anymore. And I'll give you an example, right? And this is kind of cre- what's crept into it, uh, and you could say this has affected my judgment on it, but it's just an interesting example. So Two thousand and ten, I played a match. I think it was Leinster Munster in the RDS. The week before we played in Europe, there's a young English referee. Who had never refereed me or Leinster before had refereed the game. He came into this dressing room beforehand to do the um, do the studs and and the, and the front row chats. And he was like, uh, "Hi Bernard, hi Stan, hi CJ, hi Leo, right?" And straight away, you know, he didn't he didn't last way murder. He said, "Look, I saw I saw your bind last week, Stan. You know, you need to get that up or whatever, right?" So he what? But there was a there was a, a level of respect. The following week, an Irish referee came in to do it, and he refereed me for years in Clontarf. I was captain Clontarf, so I had a relationship with him refereed me for years in Connacht, refereed me for years in Leinster, um, and he said, oh, front rows, please, right? Uh, who's the front rows? Okay. Um, who's Hooker? Put my hand up. What's your name? I said, Bernard. Uh, okay, Burn And who's the loose said, Stan. Stan put his hand up. What's your name, Stan? And it just start and again, it's a small thing, right? But it will be like me coming on to this podcast every week saying, oh, what's your name? You know, and like, it's just, I'm on a rant here, right? But watch the way Players are being spoken to at the moment um, uh, during games, right? And watch how they're starting to react. So the 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 last play of the first half um against Munster Leinster, the ball hits the post. Robbie Henshaw picks up the ball, right? Um now if you're the referee, you follow the ball hitting the post, and you'd imagine you follow it falling on the ground, right? So you're watching that you watch Robbie Henshaw pick it up. You'd imagine that's where you're watching. Reese Marshall comes in and absolutely cleans out Robbie Henshaw, right? wasn't seen. Okay. So obviously at the breakdown Robbie must have said something. Um Robbie must have said something to Andrew Brace. Uh the TMO in fairness picked it up, got word into Andrew Brace and um said it was a penalty. And rather than go, sorry Robbie, I missed that. But now I know it's a penalty, he started to give out to Robbie Henshaw. Do you know what I mean? And like there's ways of doing things, ways of treating people. And I, I know they're being taught that way and um that's obviously how they're being coached to, to, to referee. But the example, or the, the what I, the question I would ask is, is it getting them to the level they want to get to? So do they want to go referee in World Cups? Do they want to referee in Six Nations? Because someone else is obviously picking those referees and they're not picking our guys, you know? And again, it's part of the whole, we're very focused on the national team um, and, you know, the national team doing well. But there's other areas of the game in this country, provincial, women's, um, clubs, schools, referees that are all part of the IRFU's remit um, and someone in there has to be looking after it and if it's not working just put a plan in to try and fix it because I don't think it's working at the moment and it's affecting it's affecting the quality of the matches and it's affecting fans enjoyment of games because the kind of fans have gone away from that game now going you know geez, that was and the Ospreys fans thought the refereeing was, was terrible as well so I'm not saying it's biased it's just it's just not at the level it needs to be at for professional referees in a professional game
1: Murray, remind me to start with the referees next week.
0: That was a good rant. Um, but yeah, good, good points raised. The Henshaw one was interesting because actually we criticised Sinclair recently for aggressively questioning a decision and it was almost the same. You can't hear perfectly on the ref mic. Yeah. It was very similar from what I think I can hear. So in that sense, he probably reacted the wrong way. However, I think that should have been a yellow card, actually, that, that specific incident. So that's probably where the anger came from. The players have a responsibility in as well and the coaches do as well. because we're in the situation now where a a lot of coaches probably feel the referees are costing me games um, and that criticism of them the players are probably talking down to them as well a little bit so there's a balance on on both sides of it the definitely the big thing is just as with players just nail the basics get your crooked throws your offsides nail down the scrumming and and if it takes a scrum expert to come in and and coach guys then get that done because it's such a big part of the game the obvious stuff the fancy all the time that
2: is happening Murray well, why would why would a Hooker throw it straight if if he gets away with throwing a crook? Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So th- that's the stuff that's obvious to a fan, as you say, yeah. is going to frustrate them. So um, I think the onus there is to yeah. is to nail that down and and yeah, definitely the relationship side of it is really interesting. The best in the world, say Wayne Barnes, now he has a good relationship. He's not too dismissive. There's a bit of familiarity and a bit of fun there as well. Um, so fingers crossed. There's there's say even with
2: so, some of the guys who. who uh- some of the guys who are very good referees are really good people um, and, and really good uh, characters. So it's just a case of trying to be themselves rather than trying to be a clone of, of somebody else or a clone of each other when it's yeah. not working. It's
0: a really, really difficult job. I don't know who would do it, to be honest. So I think there needs to be a good level of support there as well. And it's good to see guys like even Chris Busby coming through in Ireland. He's done really well so far. Early days, obviously. But you want to see that talent push through. Joy Neville, it'll be brilliant to see her back refereeing games and not just TMOing as well. Really good ref. Um, and the other Irish chefs are still young and still learning as well. So fingers crossed, yeah, it would be brilliant to see Ireland with way more representation at the highest level.
1: Boys, you know I could listen to you all day long, but uh, you both have meetings now, so we're going to have to wrap. <laughs> Thanks. This is,
2: one for, this is one for when the pubs, this is one for the pubs reopen. We'll go into a snug, <laughs>
1: <We'll>, <laughs> put on a we'll fire. Do, we'll, do a, we'll, <laughs> right? we'll do a live Zoom. Thanks a million, Birch. Thanks a million, Murray cheers thank you to everybody at home as well 42, if you want to join the good folks in the members WhatsApp group and um, we will be back on Monday with Murray and Owen back as well next Thursday in this regular slot until then mind yourselves take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go Robbie <laughs> Robbie weekly a little
2: reverse pass